Yo, what up? It's your boy, Cool Shep. This podcast is brought to you by my boy, Joey T. And Tyrese Maxi. But right now, you know, we just maxing on the courts. Hailing from the streets of South Philly. Sometimes it gets a little hectic out there. But right now, we go up you on how we just chill. What is going on, Sixers fans? Welcome back into another edition of Trust the Podcast. I am your host, Joe Tooman, as always. So I wanted to do this podcast tonight. My main goal originally was I just I was just going to talk about some Sixers trade deadline possibilities, some things I wanted to see the 76ers do ahead of Thursday's trade deadline. But one, a huge trade in the NBA went down with Kyrie Irving going to the Dallas Mavericks. But then also the Sixers just suffered a really bad loss against the Knicks tonight. So I guess this podcast is going to have a few more topics than I originally wanted, but that's okay. That's okay. We can... We can make the podcast a little bit longer. That's all right. So I'm going to start with this Knicks game before I get into some trade deadline stuff. Sixers have been red hot, obviously. Won 21 of their last 26 coming into this game. Uh, Took down the Spurs, one of the worst teams in the league, uh, pretty handily the other night. Beat the Magic last Wednesday. Uh, We did lose to the Magic last Monday in a a tough loss, a stupid loss that we shouldn't have blown the lead in. Uh, Very similar to tonight's game, a, a game we should not have blown the lead uh, as drastically as we did, uh, we the Knicks wound up beating us in this game, 108 to 97. The Knicks are a good team; they're a playoff team. They probably are going to make the playoffs. Don't really see a world where they're not, they're not going to. They've been playing tough basketball under Tom Thibodeau all year. Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, as we saw tonight, uh, have been playing like some of the better players in the league. I, I don't want to say all stars because, you know, I, I that, that that gets a little specific because. I don't personally think Julius Randle should have made the All-Star team over Pascal Siakam, but that's another argument. Julius Randle has had a great season, and Jalen Brunson has also been playing great, as we saw tonight. So with that aside, uh, this game opened up. The Sixers got out to a very, very quick 35-15 to lead late in the first quarter. Uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid were playing great on offense in that first quarter. P.J. Tucker... <laughs> Uh, scored five points, our first five points of the night. He was bringing pretty solid effort throughout most, if not all, of this game. So I was pleased with his performance. But, you know, the Knicks are a good team, so they kind of cut it, cut the lead down to 35-24 by the end of the first quarter. Montrez Harrell came in in relief of Joel Embiid, played three minutes, and was a minus 15. We allowed 15 points to the Knicks in the three minutes Trez was on the court. Uh... It's just when you look at why that happened, Montrezl Harrell, as we know, just not—he's not the most uh, mobile, versatile defender in the league. He's not going to close out on those perimeter shots. And the Knicks just were able to get uh, a flurry of points in those short three minutes, uh, especially from beyond the arc. But I don't know. It's—it's. But I don't want to put it all on Trez because, as we saw as this game continued, the bench unit for the Sixers across the board just didn't bring the effort we needed from them tonight. The entire bench was putrid, and that's that's definitely partially on them, but it's also on Doc Rivers to a degree because, as I've said many times, Doc Rivers, his his reliance and commitment to playing playing like, playing the bench as if it's like a hockey line and these players have to stick together versus not spreading, you know, his two stars in Embiid and Harden across uh, playing with other players playing, stretching their minutes across the lineup throughout the game will always hurt this Sixers team. We saw it tonight against a team like the Knicks. So, uh, you know, Paul Reed wound up being the backup center for the rest of this game. He didn't fare too much better than Montrez, although he certainly played a little bit better on defense as he always does. 
Uh, but across the second quarter, it was kind of just a back and forth affair. We wound up being up 53 to 51 at the half. Uh, we opened the third the third quarter. Julius Randle hits a nasty step back three, makes it 54 to 53. Uh, but then from there, the Sixers started to, you know, start to refine that momentum. PJ Tucker was bringing a lot of effort once again. You know, nailed a corner three, had some a few good offensive rebounds that kept possessions alive. Embiid was playing fantastically. He was getting those Knicks centers. Uh, Hartenstein and Sims into foul trouble very quickly. Uh, those two guys combined for 10 fouls. Isaiah Hartenstein fouled out. Sims had four and bead. 18 of 19 at the free throw line in this game. He had a very solid performance with 31 points. Could have been a little bit stronger from the field, but I certainly wouldn't put this loss on him. Uh, you know, we wound up being up 76-68 after a Flurry of offense. We saw Melton and Maxie working hard, sprinting up and down the court. Melton making some nice defensive plays. Uh, you know, P.J. Tucker, as I mentioned, was putting in good effort. But then in the fourth quarter, that's when things really uh, went downhill for us. I, I can't even really explain it, but Evan Fournier and Miles McBride, two guards on the Knicks that are not exactly uh, reliable offensive threats, uh, game in and game out. Evan Fournier, I know... His reputation is that of a three-point shooter, but he hasn't even been playing very much for the Knicks. He has only made, coming into this game, I looked it up, he had only made four shots since January 18th, and tonight he finished with 17 points in 24 minutes. Maybe his best performance of the season. I'd have to look at his entire year, but definitely one of his better ones because he hasn't even been a consistent part of this Knicks lineup. But all of a sudden, you know, give a ton of credit to Jalen Brunson, who he was getting those two guys a ton of open looks uh, garnering a ton of defensive attention from the Sixers, and he's crafty enough. He's smart enough of a player that he's a huge reason for why the Knicks have been so good this year. The way he has been able to take command of that offense as the lead creator out in the backcourt, such a great signing for the Knicks. He was getting those guys plenty of open looks, and all of a sudden it was 98 to 90 off some big three pointers from the guards I mentioned, and the Knicks from there they wound up winning 108 to 97. In this game, our bench. As I mentioned, just terrible. Every single bench player on this team, and I, th I believe six bench players suited up tonight, uh, all of them were minus 14 or worse in the plus-minus department. Shake Milton and George Yang combined to make one shot. Uh, you can't have that from the guys who off the bench are supposed to be your spark plug uh, shooters. You know, George Yang from the three-point line, Shake Milton as a reliable guy to get to the hoop, get to the rim. Tyrese Maxey, he didn't have a terrible game. My thing is, I, I just I don't get how Doc Rivers, a coach who a guy who's been coaching for almost three decades and also played in the NBA for two decades before that, he 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 might have he's probably spent eighty percent of his life in basketball, in professional basketball. Um, I don't get how he still doesn't get that you gotta stagger the minutes of your stars. How is it that Tyrese Maxey almost barely played with Joel Embiid or James Harden tonight? The Knicks started three guards. They started quickly, they started Brunson, and they started Quentin Grimes. Why can't we roll with the Melton, Maxey, Harden starting lineup? All three of those guys do so much different things. They're not redundant. Those three guards, even if the other team isn't starting three guards, in a lot of cases I think we should be able to, if not, you know, start the three of them. If you want to start Tucker, fine. Those guys got to find more minutes to play together. D'Anthony Mellon, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. It's not that hard to tell that those three guys do a lot of different things, and they can complement each other on the court. 
I, I just and we did it. Like we literally, I went to a game against the Indiana Pacers a month ago. Doc Rivers started that lineup. He started those three guys together, and I was like, "Have we turned a corner here?" As Doc Rivers figured it out, he figured it out for like two games, and then he went back to doing the old Doc Rivers, the same old Doc Rivers stuff. And that's a big reason for why the bench was so bad tonight. Like, our entire starting lineup was positive plus minus. Our entire bench was negative plus minus. The Knicks' entire uh, bench was at least plus 17 or better. They only played four bench players, but all four of them were at least a plus 17, had a plus 17 point differential when they were in, with Evan Fournier uh, and Isaiah Hartenstein being in the 20s in the plus minus department. Uh, it's just baffling to look at because. Yes, the bench players, they got to make their shots. I, I'm, not, I'm not giving them all a pass just because they're bench guys. I mean, we've seen Shake, we've seen George Niang, we've seen even Montrez at times contribute at a decent level, especially on offense. But if you're Doc and you see the bench is getting destroyed, you got to make adjustments. you got to play. you got to make the lineup changes. you got to play the starters and the bench together. And I know if you look at this game, yes, the starters played a lot of minutes, but that's just because Doc went – full starting lineup. Like, once he saw the bench playing bad, he just put the starting lineup back in, and that was really more in the second half. It's just when with Doc Rivers coaching this team, I mean, I'll talk more about this, like, maybe in a future podcast where I'm hoping to have some guests on. We can talk about what the rest of the Sixers season, what the outlook is going to look like. But just to keep it short here, I just don't see how this team can win a championship with Doc Rivers as the coach if he's not going to make adjustments at a championship level. It's that simple. And it's too late to fire him because, I, I mean, hell, he just won Coach of the Month for January because we've won so many games. So, like, they're not going to fire him this late into the season. I'm not even really saying that's what should happen, but I think he should have been fired on, like, November 10th after we started, like, 4-8 and eight or whatever it was, or, like, 6-6. Six and six. It, We were somewhere around there. I, it's just baffling because this team is so talented. We have so many good players. I'm not killing guys like Niang and Shake. I think they've had good seasons. They just didn't show up tonight against a, 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 a gritty and tough-nosed Knicks team. But you just got to make adjustments. Tyrese Maxey cannot – if he's going to come off the bench, he can't just be a bench player. Like, yes, he can come off the bench as our spark plug six-man, but by the end of the game, he's got to be in there more with the, with the other guys. So, ah. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see how Doc Rivers can look across at the Knicks starting lineup, see three guys starting under, under like, what, 6'4", three guys under 6'4", 6'5", and then just not start Melton and Maxi together. So it also doesn't help Maxi because then when Maxi is just playing with the full bench lineup, you're basically saying, Tyrese Maxi, go out there and be the number one option for 10 straight minutes, like, you're not going to get to balance out with Embiid or Harden, like he's been accustomed to for the past year and a half. Like, I get that Melton was playing so well, you want to have his his play style in the starting lineup, but for Maxi, like, coming back from the injury, there's been almost no adjustment for him where now he's just marooned on himself half the time. I, I don't know. I should probably stop branding and get to my other points, but... It's just like I understand the Sixers have been winning so many games lately. I'm not saying the sky is falling for the season, but for a team that should have championship aspirations for where they are in the standings with how many games they've won over the past two months, I should have way more confidence as a fan right now. And I think that a lot of other Sixers fans would st say the same. St say the same, yes. Okay, with that aside, 
Look into the future. The trade deadline is on Thursday, and there's been a lot of rumors that Matisse Thibel uh, will be on the move. A lot of teams are interested. We've seen the Atlanta Hawks be rumored. We've seen the Sacramento Kings be rumored. Even the Golden State Warriors, I saw a couple of rumors. Maybe he would uh, maybe venture out there. You know, we do play the Celtics on Wednesday, but if Matisse either doesn't play in that game or doesn't shoot in that game, which is very possible, Matisse might have taken his very last shot attempt as a sixer tonight. He took one shot attempt in his 10 minutes in this game. Um, Matisse Thibel's a guy I've always really liked, well, at least especially at the beginning. I think he's a, a likable guy. I think he, he's a very good defender, uh, at least he's a very good playmaking defender. I mean, I think he's become a little overrated in the sense that I don't think he's always able to keep elite scores in front of him the way, you know, maybe some other elite defenders can slow scores down. I think Matisse is more of a playmaking defender. Uh, you know, getting those poke move steals, maybe uh, coming up from behind the back to block some shots. He's still a good defender. I'm, I'm not going to say he's not. He's a very smart defender. He's very tenacious. But when we have a guy like P.J. Tucker on this team, we can't have two total zeros playing big minutes in the rotation. So I do think Matisse Thibel needs to be traded. And this team's biggest need right now is a better backup center. Even with Isaiah Hartenstein struggling against Joel Embiid tonight, a guy like him would be so much better for this Sixers team as a, as a backup center than the guys we're dealing with right now. Because Paul Reed, as much as I like him, he's still not polished offensively, and Montrezl Harrell is one of the least polished defensive players I've ever seen on the court. So we definitely need one center who can contribute on offense and defense the way someone like Hartenstein can, who is out here rebounding, blocking shots, but also able to get some alley-oops, able to dunk the ball in the paint, etc. Jericho Sims, even more so because of the athleticism. Just watching those two guys tonight made me very jealous of the Knicks. So if Thibel was to go to the Kings, I would welcome Rashawn Holmes to come back to Philadelphia. He, he's fresh. He hasn't been playing too much for this Kings team. Um, and I don't know. I think he would, I think he would be a, a jolt of energy off the bench for this Sixers team. Another guy is Jakob Pertl in San Antonio. I don't know if the Spurs would want to experiment with Thibel, but at the same time, uh, you know, they're a rebuilding team. Thibel's still young. Maybe they think they can coerce some offense out of him. Send Jakob Pertl our way. He would be the best backup center we've ever had by a mile. We could get Andre Drummond back from the Chicago Bulls. I know the Bulls in the offseason were rumored to be in on Matisse Thibel. I would, I would take a package. I would consider maybe a trade like Matisse, throw Jaden Springer in there, maybe throw a pick in, get Andre Drummond back, and maybe we can even snag a Goran Dragic. Uh, that would probably take a lot. We'd probably have to put in a couple second rounders. Furkan might even have to get thrown in there. But that's a deal I would love. It would give us Drummond back, who was he's been Embiid's best backup center across his career. And then Goran Dragic has always been a very savvy veteran, and I think he would be a welcome addition to this bench. Give, he would give us a different pace at the backup guard position. Um, I, I know we have enough guards because we got Harden, we got Melton, we got Max, we got Shake. But, you know, maybe if Doc ever comes around to the three-guard lineup, we could do some Goran Dragic, Shake Milton uh, coming off the bench together. So I don't know. I would consider that. I saw the Atlanta Hawks. They seem to be a team that's really in on Thibel. The problem with that was that I looked at their roster, and in terms of who we would get back, I don't know who the Hawks would give us that would actually be an upgrade over Thibel in our rotation because I don't think they're going to give up Bogdan Bogdanovich. You know, he's a great shot maker um, for them, but... Is, are they really going to give him up for Matisse Thibel? I don't think so. They're certainly not going to give us Onyeka Okungwu, who would be a fantastic backup center for this team, but there's no way they're going to trade him for Matisse Thibel. That would, that would be absurd. 
so that brings you down to like Justin Holiday. Uh, so I don't know who else, but I don't think that's realistic unless it's just a, a Matisse Thibel and for picks. But how's that benefiting us this season? It's not. So I don't think the Hawks is a realistic destination, despite the fact that they're one of the the teams most rumored to get Thibel. And then the Warriors. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to really look at that more. But off the top of my head, their rotation doesn't really have anyone that we need that they would be willing to give up. So I'm interested to see where Matisse Thibel goes. I think a trade with the Kings would be really beneficial. I would take Rashawn Holmes back in a heartbeat. I was always a big fan of him in Philadelphia, but I guess we'll have to see where that goes. And then just to give my brief thoughts on the Kyrie Irving trade here, uh, the Mavericks have acquired Kyrie Irving. They traded Spencer Dinwiddie back to the Brooklyn Nets for his second stint with the team. Uh, he was a very good player for them in the past, so they'll they'll hope he can get back to that level of play with them. They also got Dorian Finney-Smith, a very versatile two-way player uh, who's been a linchpin of the Mavericks for, what is it, five, six, seven years. So after a long stint with Dallas, he now heads to Brooklyn. Uh, and then Dallas also gave up a 2029 first-round pick and then a second-round pick in 2027, and a second-round pick in 2029. Dallas still has a ton of first-round picks, so this is not a desperation, like this is our last pick trade for Dallas. They have all of their first-round picks from 2024 to 2028. So this was kind of like almost them doing Brooklyn a favor, like we'll give you a little extra draft capital instead of you just letting Kyrie walk for nothing this summer. I'm, I'm skeptical, like... Is Dallas really going to pay Kyrie a max? We, we know Brooklyn, I guess, wasn't willing to because that seems like the reason Kyrie requested a trade was because he seemed to think – it sounds like he didn't think uh, Brooklyn was going to give him a max contract, which makes sense after, you know, the, the 10 different nonsensical things Kyrie's done throughout his career. Like, how can you trust him at this point? For Dallas, like, I think they definitely got better, and because they really didn't give up a lot – like, I know they're losing Dorian Finney-Smith, but you just find a way to replace that guy because Kyrie is such an upgrade over Dorian and Spencer Dinwiddie that I think it's a fair trade. They really didn't give up that many picks, so I think it's a fair trade, especially from the Dallas side. Um, I just don't really know how much this moves the needle for Dallas, especially this season. Like, Kyrie and Luke are going to have to really get adjusted to playing together because those guys need the ball. Uh, they both have very high usage rates. We'll see if Kyrie, like, I don't know. I think it could work some nights. Like, those guys can definitely both score the ball at a very high level. But defensively, like, I I don't want to say defensively it's such a problem because Spencer Dinwiddie isn't a great defender either. So it's not like it's a huge difference in terms of the defensive aspect uh, on the court. But, I mean, losing Dorian obviously affects the defense, but that's in the front court. I, I just... From Dallas's standpoint, I'm not sure this really makes them a contender. I still think they're a first or second round exit. And then from the Nets standpoint, like, I understand you want to get something for a guy that you think is going to walk in free agency, but the Nets' goal is to win a championship. They have Kevin Durant under contract. Like, they're trying, they're, and they're a top fourth team in the Eastern Conference. They are trying to win a title this year, at least they were up to this point. So to me, it's like, I understand you want to get something for Kyrie so he doesn't walk for nothing. But if you're trying to win a championship, I guess I guess the the worry was that Kyrie would sit out the games and he wouldn't play if he wasn't traded. I guess that I guess that's the counterpoint. I just feel like the Nets, they were in contention and now all of a sudden they had to trade Kyrie, but now their lineup is just Kevin Durant and a bunch of role players 
And, you know, defensively, I think they're terrible. Like, Nick Claxton's really good. Dorian Finney-Smith is solid. Durant can bring the energy, especially in the playoffs when he's really motivated. But backcourt-wise, like, Seth Curry, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Cam Thomas, like, these guys are not going to be able to stop the Cleveland Cavaliers if they match up against them. I don't think they could stop the Sixers at all. Uh, and I think the Bucks would find a way ways to make shots. The Celtics would certainly have their way. Uh especially defensively. I think the Celtics defensively would shut the, the, the Nets' new backcourt down pretty easily. That's not even counting Ben Simmons, but I think Ben Simmons is, you know, he's, he's a total wild card, but in the worst way. Like, I don't think he's a wild card to, to have a strong performance. I think he's just a head case. And best case scenario, I guess you're getting a good Swiss Army Knife role, Swiss Army knife role player. But worst case scenario, you're getting a guy who won't drive the rim, his assists will all come from, like, last-second handoffs because he's scared to shoot. And defensively, he won't be able to to stop, you know, Giannis. He won't be able to stop Embiid. He won't be able to stop Donovan Mitchell. Like, at a certain point, Ben Simmons, you know, he might, be st- he might still be considered an above-average defender, but I do not think he is the same defensive player of the year caliber guy he was in Philadelphia when, his, when he still had his head on straight. So... I don't know. I, I think this is a, a weird trade, and I don't think either team is going to, like, we're not going to look back at this in five months and be like, the Kyrie trade changed the directory, the trajectory of the playoffs this season. So I guess it comes down to will Dallas be happy enough with Kyrie over the next few months that they re-sign him this offseason, or will Kyrie's craziness only continue where maybe he'll, maybe he'll wear, wear thin on people in Dallas over the next few months, and then Dallas won't want to pay him either, and then where does he go from there? Maybe the Lakers, you know, Russell Westbrook wants his contracts off the books. The Lakers replace that salary, salary with Kyrie's. Maybe that's where this winds up going. I don't know, but, you know, I'm not a guy who likes Kyrie. I think he's uh, I think he's out of chances, but here he is getting another one from Dallas. So I guess we'll see how it works out. We'll see if the Mavericks uh, can rejuvenate him. But, hey, I- I'll take it. I think the Nets got a lot worse with this trade, so that helps the Sixers. So, And as I was laying out earlier in this podcast, the Sixers need all the help they can get right now. So that's my thoughts on the Kyrie trade, and that's going to do it for this edition of Trust the Podcast. Uh, I'm very excited to see what happens on this NBA trade deadline. I'm sure I'm going to be... Uh, putting out some content, uh, giving my reactions to that later in the week. So stay tuned for that. But other than that, thank you guys for listening today. Make sure to follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you aren't already. And other than that, hopefully Matisse Thibel will be out the door and we're going to be bringing in a nice, effective backup center this Thursday.